0: Well, good morning. It's my pleasure to greet you all in the name and the spirit of the living God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's such a joy to look out and see faces of folks I've never met before, faces of folks I'm still getting to know, uh, and longtime friends. Uh, Wherever you fall in that list or somewhere in between, uh, know that we're delighted that you're with us this morning. And please take the opportunity after the service to introduce yourself to two people. You might find out they've been at Black No longer than you are. Uh, you might find out they're new just like you. This morning, we'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Our text is chapter 7, it's on page 1009. I'll begin reading with the 24th verse. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Afatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we saw last week, Jesus is getting quite a bit of attention. Teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem just to see him. And, well, they didn't really like what they saw. Followers of this new movement were disregarding the traditions of the elders And their leader was not apologetic. In fact, Jesus was confrontational. Jesus called the establishment hypocrites. And he repudiated a pillar of Israelite identity and religious practice, the food laws. Imagine the faces of the Jewish leaders and the crowd as they heard this new rabbi opine, Oh, nothing outside a man can make him unclean. After this tense encounter with the Pharisees, Jesus decided to get out of town for a little while. Now, the text tells us that he goes to Tyre, which I'm guessing doesn't mean anything to any of you. If you read that Jesus went from Durham to Fayetteville or Hillsborough to Wilmington, well, you would import a host of geographic and cultural associations. Oh, that's a military town. That's a coastal town. That's a small town. And these associations would shape what you expect to happen next. But most of us don't have that kind of knowledge of Jesus' stomping grounds. We don't know enough to realize that Jesus going to Tyre is like a UNC player being rejected by his fans and hiding out in Kayville, or worse. Tyre was a historical enemy of Israel. Isaiah 23 delivers a prophecy against Tyre and promises that the Lord will deal with her. Tyre sided with Israel's enemies during the period of the Maccabees, several decades before. And during Jesus' time, tensions between the two regions continued as Galilean farmers exported bread to the wealthy residents of Tyre but went hungry themselves. First-century Jewish historian Josephus said that the residents of Tyre were the Jews' bitterest enemies. So this seemed like a great place to hide out. Perhaps Jesus and his disciples thought that a Jewish preacher wouldn't attract much attention here, but they were wrong. As the ESV translation tellingly puts it, Jesus could not be hidden. Right away, a woman approaches him and falls at his feet. She implores him to heal her little daughter. Mark makes sure to tell us that she is a Greek, that is, a Gentile, an outsider to God's promise to Israel. He also identifies her as a Phoenician, in case we haven't already realized that Jesus is in enemy territory. As we've made our way through Mark, we've seen desperate people fall at Jesus' feet. We've seen people begging Jesus, «Heal my little daughter». But we haven't encountered anything quite like the conversation that follows. Jesus' response to this desperate woman is difficult. He doesn't readily go with the woman to heal her daughter. He doesn't promise that her faith has made the child well. In Matthew's account of this story... Jesus' disciples urge him, just send this woman away. But Jesus doesn't do that either. Instead, Jesus gives a response that's, well, it's characteristic of the coarse language of the day. He makes use of familiar tropes of Jews as children and Gentiles As dogs. Is this an all-too-human Jesus, harried and lashing out at a vulnerable target? Does Jesus embody the prejudice of his day with an intent to to demean? Or does this provocative statement begin the undoing of yet another cherished Jewish tradition, the Jew-Gentile divide? It was certainly no compliment to compare someone to a dog. For Jesus and his contemporaries, dogs were not pampered pets. There were no gourmet dog biscuits or puppy Prozac or grand dogs. Dogs were viewed as scavengers. At our house last Tuesday, we had a big dinner outside And one of my children, I won't say who, was playing really hard in the heat. He had a lot of cheese and crackers, followed by a big dinner. His very responsible mother made sure you have to finish that burger. Then he did a lot more running and playing in the heat. Then he ate a big piece of cake, and then he came over clutching his stomach, saying, I don't feel well. I feel like I have five babies in my stomach. I think I'm going to get sick. And he did. We whisked him away to clean him up, but before we could clean up his mess outside, well, the dog had taken care of it. It takes my breath away to imagine Jesus looking at this woman in the eyes and saying, it's not right to throw the children's food to the dog's. But the most amazing thing is this. It doesn't take her breath away. This nameless foreign woman readily responds to Jesus. In almost every other story, Jesus is the one who has the last word. He speaks, and no one has anything more to say. It's drop the mic. The Pharisees, silenced. The disciples can only utter a, what, what did you mean? But this desperate woman of the wrong gender, wrong religion, wrong homeland does something that no one else has done. She talks back. Lord, even under the table, even the dogs, dogs under the table, eat the children's crumbs. She shifts the image ever so slightly. Did you catch that? Dogs, they're not just waiting outside the door, begging to be given scraps. Some dogs are part of the household, present for the meal, albeit under the table. And these dogs don't have to wait until the children are finished. They may be satisfied even by crumbs. The woman places herself in Jesus' mini parable, in a way that shows she understands. First, she gets that Jesus has come to feed the children first, that is, to satisfy Israel. Israel's own religious leaders don't get it. They don't like how Jesus and his disciples glean on the Sabbath. They don't like how Jesus and his disciples wash up or don't before meals, and they certainly don't like Jesus' declaration that all foods are clean. The religious leaders don't want to have anything to do with the bread that Jesus provides, and their rejection will ultimately lead to Jesus' death. And the disciples, well, they they simply don't get it. Even though they've heard the message, they've seen the power, they've eaten and been satisfied with a meal that began with five loaves and two fish, but their hearts are hardened. Israel does not receive Jesus as their Messiah, but she does. This Gentile outsider takes Jesus at his word, that he is indeed the one who can satisfy God's people. But that's not all. She also sees something in Jesus that is not constrained by his covenant with Israel. Something that simply cannot be exhausted by one nation, one people. Jesus can satisfy Israel with some left over. This is the lesson of the loaves and the fish. It began with a few meager pieces of bread, fed 5,000, and there were still 12 basketfuls more. The economy of the kingdom is not one of scarcity, but of abundance. One crumb of what Jesus offers is enough to satisfy. Though Jesus came first to the Jews, the woman demands... That what God promised Abraham would be true. That through Israel, all nations would be blessed. And her demand is met. Jesus heals her daughter. If Jesus' intent was just to demean this woman, that would be quite a turnaround. If you truly despise the person in front of you, you're unlikely to respond well to an audacious retort. Now, I don't claim to know what was happening in the mind of Christ, but when I look at how Mark tells this story, I see something more than prejudice going on. Jesus is testing the woman and us, all those who are watching. He offers an extreme, a true, but dismissive statement designed to provoke. He's come to satisfy Israel, not Gentile dogs. But in so doing, in speaking to her, instead of walking away, he creates an opportunity for the woman to demonstrate amazing faith and for Jesus to demonstrate To the woman, to his disciples, to us, that as there are no unclean foods, there are no unclean people. Jesus came first to the Jews to fulfill God's covenant promise. But after his death and resurrection, Jesus explicitly instructed the apostles to make disciples of all nations. By the time Mark composed his gospel, Jewish children and Gentile dogs gathered around the table together to share the same bread, the body of Christ. At this table, we are brought together, regardless of our background, our culture, we are brought together by our mutual need for Jesus to satisfy. And yet we know from the rest of the New Testament, that the church struggled mightily against old barriers. Peter just couldn't believe it, even when he heard a voice from heaven telling him that all foods were clean. Conflict arose quickly in Jerusalem between Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking widows. There was a strong and persistent theological movement that demanded that Gentiles be circumcised, despite the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It is a persistent temptation to reintroduce the kinds of divisions that Jesus is undoing. It is a persistent temptation to try and make some brothers and sisters eat under the table. I think of the long history of segregated worship in America. It's known best to me through the story of my own home church, where some member of my family has been a deacon or an elder for generations. On Palm Sunday in 1964, a group of black and white students began showing up on the front steps, asking to be admitted to worship. And when they were denied entry, they would kneel outdoors, This continued for more than a year the church split before it would open its doors to brothers and sisters of color it is a persistent temptation to make some among us eat under the table i think of the growing church in the global south and china The church in America, it's hard. We struggle to celebrate this movement of the Spirit as the church in our own country shrinks. Will we try and hold on to some imagined claim of being first? Or will we offer these new brothers and sisters a place of honor at the table? It is a persistent temptation to try and make some brothers and sisters eat under the table. I worry that COVID will introduce divisions in our own congregation, as some are still unable to gather here this morning. How will we together see to it that no one has to go hunting for scraps? When we grasp for our own At the expense of our brothers and sisters, we belie the abundance of the kingdom that Jesus brings. At the end of the chapter, Jesus is once again in Gentile territory. And he encounters a man who is deaf and dumb. This man can't respond to Jesus as the woman so unexpectedly did. The man is, well, he's almost like a caricature of the Gentiles, of what happens to a people when they are ensnared by idols and not under the care of the living God. The Psalms put it this way, that you have eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, a mouth but can't speak. And those who make idols and worship them will be like them. But Jesus doesn't turn away. He doesn't turn his back on this man. He ministers to him in a way that he can understand. He puts his fingers in his ear. He touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven And the man who is deaf and dumb, and all those who are with him, suddenly become the next witnesses of what God is doing in Christ. Friends, despite the persistent temptations and hard heartedness of God's people, Jesus cannot be hidden. Praise Him. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, help us. Gather us to your body, Jesus, and so help us encounter one another. Feed us with what will satisfy. We come to the table, we come with gratitude and grief. We come with gratitude that while we were living on scraps, scavenging for what would sustain us, Jesus has given us the bread of life, his life. And we come with grief. Grief at our own hard-heartedness. Grief for those that we would want to have gathered at the table with us who are not here. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus set before those who would deny him, betray him, abandon him, yet one more meal. He took bread He gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, poured out in my blood for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, drink it. Let's pray together. Holy, 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 Lord. We don't claim to come to this table on our own righteousness. Lord, we know that on our own accord, we're not fit to pick up the crumbs from beneath the table. And yet, you are mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And so we ask you again, Lord, take these common elements and make them to be for us your body and blood. We pray in the merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Let me invite the servers to come forward and offer each of you a few instructions. So uh, all of our elements are gluten-free. You'll remain seated until an usher releases you. Uh, At that time, please come forward with your mask on. Uh, receive a piece of bread, dip it, flip it, and slip it under your mask. Uh, If you'd prefer to remain in your seat, you can receive a celebration cup from your server and partake that way. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come.